This week's episode is brought to you by 6minutemile.com. Running and fitness news hand curated and delivered directly to your inbox multiple times each week. These six easily digestible stories, reviews, and moments of inspiration are like the skim for endurance athletes. Sign up today and you'll get stories like the future of artificial intelligence and run coaching, which are the best gym exercises for runners, and comprehensive reviews of the latest and greatest gear from the top brands in the industry. Looking for your next race? 6-Minute Mile has a great event directory as well. Visit 6minutemile.com, pop in your email address, and sign up for your very own inbox full of endurance goodness. 6minutemile.com. I think I had, I think that's one of my personal like alarm bells um, and, and one of my kind of demons, I guess, in a race that long. Um, or even in a 100-mile race, because I can, I know when I'm feeling that I want to quit and it's a it's a pretty dark spot as far as I feel so confident that I'll be fine if I drop <laughs> and and I have to recognize that and I have to just force myself it's not like I can be in that moment and think back to this conversation and be like oh yeah it's just something yeah. I have to get through Welcome to Faster Forward. I am your host Troy Bousseau. This is a show where we sit down and talk with some amazing people from the endurance community age groupers and Olympians, adventurers and explorers. We discuss their successes and failures about falling down, getting back up and never ever quitting. While it's not always about finishing, it is most definitely about starting, getting on a journey faster forward. There we go. How are you doing? Good afternoon. <laughs> I'm so well, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Today on the podcast, we have Emily Ketty or Emily in the wild as she is known on Instagram, um, ultra runner, mountain athlete. Um, I mean, dear Lord, where do we begin? Tahoe 200 second place, the Bhutan snowman run. I mean, all sorts of really cool, amazing accomplishments and, and reading through your Instagram, which actually we'll get into quite a bit today. Um, maybe the most self-critical person I have ever <laughs> seen, like with all these great accomplishments, it's like, geez, Louise, it's like, you act like you're, you know, tripping all over yourself, just trying to get down the street. But anyway, <laughs> welcome to the show. Very much looking forward to having this conversation today. Thank you. That yeah. was, I'm already like psyched even more now just hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to actually, you know, it was funny. I was just, we were talking a little bit before we started recording here. I did a bunch of, um, I had just had uh, Ashley and Jason on the podcast when you guys were going to do Snowman in Bhutan, and then you started popping up all over my feed, and, and you know, as you were doing the race, and, and I reached out like, "Hey, let's let's get you on. This sounds great." And so I did some some um, investigation and looking into you at the time, and and you know, all was good. And then I started doing a bunch more today, and it was like, wow, okay, wait a second. I started reading like sort of from today backward, uh -huh. and you know, it was it was super interesting because the funny thing was this morning. I thought of you as I was going to the gym because it was like five o'clock in the morning. I'm not at all a morning person. I'm desperately trying to do this. And I was like, dude, you're such a wuss. Like thinking back what you went through. <laughs> I was like, I can't even get out of bed to do some squats, much less like just you living over there for three days was more intense than anything I could ever imagine doing. So uh, yeah. anyway. Anyway, so um, let's, I guess, kind of start because it was interesting. One of the things that I, the reason that I brought that, that up was um, you had, you had a quote. Oh, and it was like four days ago. It said, my sinuses are still funky. My equilibrium's off. My hearing is still 
muffled. My word retrieval sucks. And I was like, oh, this should be an interesting conversation. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into that a little bit. It seems like, um, I mean, wherever we want to start, obviously, but the snowman race, epic race, love to hear more about that. But it really had sort of a difficult kind of post-race sickness and things uh, coming out of that. So yeah. Um, maybe let's start with you a little bit more, though. Kind of where, give me an idea of where you came from, you know, to get where you are today in terms of, you know, ultra runner, you know, <laughs> extraordinaire type of um, like <laughs> huge, just massive. I don't, you know, that's trivialized, but I mean, massive efforts and some things that you've been able to do. Thank you. It's, you know what, sometimes those, um, not that we need to be patted on the back, we meaning any, ultra athletes and runners and mount, you know, people pushing themselves physically. I think especially um, these days of social media where everything's in your face, it's constant comparison. And I yeah. think hearing you say that is kind of a, it checks myself a little bit. Like, you know, it, you gotta kind of look at the big picture and any given day of the week, you can look and see people doing amazing things. And the more you compare yourself to that, like, you could never keep up. And I think you just really have to, um, and Jason does a really good job of this, like keeping humble and, and lifting others up when you're not necessarily doing that next big thing at the moment. Um, so that, that's something that I'm, that I'm working on. Um, I, so I'm from New York state, um, near Buffalo, go bills. And my uh, wife's from Buffalo. She's from Sardinia. <laughs> Um, I moved out here to Bend, Oregon about five years ago. Um, and I moved here because in 2016, I had through hiked the Pacific Crest Trail mm -hmm. and that, um, I had just done, was it? Oh no, I hadn't even gotten into trail running yet. Um, but I was into like endurance hiking, just big, big day hiking. I think my biggest day was like a 50 mile hike, um, mm -hmm. in the Adirondack mountains. So that was kind of my playground. And, uh, I hiked the PCT and that. Um, ruined my life in the best way. That's the thing <laughs> I always use um, because it really, I mean, carrying everything on your back and just being outside all the time, um, it clicked for me. Mm -hmm. um, I think for some people that just feels so good um, and it, it taught me a lot, the experience. And I just knew that I wanted to live in a way where I had less stuff, not quite minimalistic per se, but to maximum my maximize my time outdoors um and just and be able to have more of a flexible lifestyle so um i had uh, gotten my phd at the university of buffalo um in child psych and mm. had practiced briefly um and decided to move um out west after that kind of six month hiatus on the pct and since moving out here i haven't gotten back into practicing but i've um, I work right now um, part-time as a social media manager, and I also work in a restaurant serving. Um, and both of those jobs just allow me massive flexibility yeah. to train and to be outdoors. I almost think sometimes my excuse for being an ultra runner, not that I need one, um, but it is just what can I do in my life that's meaningful where I can spend as much time outside as possible yeah. being active, um, being fit and able to, you know, if a friend says, Hey, do you want to go climb XYZ mountain tomorrow? I'm always ready. And yeah. being an ultra runner kind of provides <laughs> that. So, um, so yeah, I've been out in Bend five years now and, uh, and I love it. Yeah. 
It's interesting when you look at, again, kind of reading through your post, the one thing that jumped out at me, because I've, I'm 51, I've been through lots of different phases of a career and fitness and, and all sorts of things. And the, one of the things that I've realized about myself that it used to um, drive me nuts isn't strong enough. Um, I would, it would really affect me mentally, like I would feel like a loser, because there were days similar to what you were writing about where I just couldn't bring myself to it wasn't days, it was weeks where I just wouldn't train or I wouldn't want to work. Mm -hmm. And I tend to sort of binge on one or the other or, you know, like or neither and just really all I want to do is spend time with the family, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I found that the harder I pushed against that, the worse it got. You know, it never really got to a depression point, but it it certainly got to a a bad mental state until I really started just embracing it. Now I recognize it right off the bat. And mm -hmm. I, I just know like I'm going to suck at work for the next few weeks because all I want to do when I wake up is just, I just want to go train or, or, you know, be outside or be, you know, doing those things. And then there are other times where it's just, I'm going to do the minimal to keep fit, but I'm just like, I've got, my brain is just going insane for work. Mm -hmm. And so when I, I kind of, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, and I'd written down, like, what do you do professionally? And is it um, not enough, but is it, I guess, important enough to you to help you balance when maybe, you know, you finish one of these massive efforts like snowman and maybe your body is just sort of saying, Hey, like we need a break, you know? And then is there something else that you can throw yourself into that, that, that sort of makes you feel whole or wholer maybe. Yeah. That's a really interesting question because I think that is one of the things that kind of plagues me. Um, I do miss practicing psychology a lot. Um, there is a high potential for burnout in mm. that field. Yeah. And even a few years I was working. Um, so it's kind of always been my plan. Um, you know, after I moved out here to get my license, to start practicing again. Um, I honestly just haven't had time to, um, like sit down and buy the study materials and study and do the license yeah. and go through all the steps. I'm not very good at those parts of things, the little nitty gritty, the paperwork, the I'd rather just dive into someone's practice and be like, okay, now I work again. Yeah. There's steps to it, but also that would take some time away from yeah. the things I'm doing. Um, but I do think that that would balance things out a little bit better. Um, I, I had been working pretty full time as a restaurant server, which while it was great money and lots of flexibility um it it didn't bring me too much joy yeah. <laughs> so now with my like kind of social media gig i'm i'm diving into a more creative side of my brain that mm. i really haven't used too much and while i don't see myself as necessarily a creative it's fun and it kind of challenges me i have to be cool and you know pretend I'm generation Z, <laughs> um, you know, and to kind of dive into the, what, what the kids are doing these days. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's kind of, a um, my, my partner's, um, kind of longstanding family business. So I have a vested interest in it. Um, so that's, that's fun and more meaningful, but I'm yeah. not quite, quite there. Um, that search for balance is definitely, yeah. uh, a challenge ongoing. Yeah, it's tough because knowing the you know what I can see of you is is you're certainly addicted to the challenge of these big efforts. And 
finding something. Um, I loved waiting tables, you know, like all through college. It was one of my favorite jobs, but there's like zero challenge to it in terms <laughs> of climbing a hill and really feeling a sense of accomplishment. Um, yeah. So I wonder, you know, as, as your, whatever that becomes, whether it's in the social media side or in the, in the um, psychology side or some combination thereof, obviously there's a lot of crossover there um, where you can start to, cause I think it's important to feel like you suck at something that you love, <laughs> you know, that you love, not that you don't care about and you're just not good at it. But I think that, you know, life is supposed to be difficult and it's supposed to be a struggle and it's, you know, you are supposed to feel, you shouldn't step on the playing field first day and feel like, you know, Tom Brady or whatever, you know, like yeah. you, sh you should kind of suck and have to grind through getting good at that. And I think yeah. it's an insanely fulfilling and something that I think younger people today don't understand that sense of, um, the, the sense of accomplishment and what that does to one's psyche and without it. So not to go off on some political tangent, but like, you know, universal basic income and those types of things for the people who really desperately need it. Great. But everybody else, it's like, we, we need to be pushing ourselves much, much harder. Yeah. You know, absolutely. so you get out to the West coast, you're, you know, you're bend Oregon, you're doing these, these, um, I guess, kind of like through hikes and, and big efforts and things like that, where is the natural conclusion then to start racing these things and to like, you know, it, because it sounds like you're very natural outdoors. You mm -hmm. kind of said it like it, it, it almost seems more chill, your original emotions to getting outside. And then they sort of turn, <laughs> they take this right hand turn to like, let's get, let's step yeah. this thing up a notch. I mean, interestingly, when I was in like college and grad school and right after grad school, I was not super outdoorsy. I was so concerned with shoes and outfits <laughs> and like hanging out with my girlfriends. And um, I had done with some ladies, some like 5Ks and a Tough mutter, which <laughs> was frustrating because it seemed like you like ran between each obstacle and just waited in line mm. to do the obstacle. Yeah. It didn't seem like a race. But um, uh. It wasn't until after the PCT that I, I mean, I was hiker trash. I embraced the dirt bag life. It was wonderful. Um, I felt very comfortable in that kind of sphere. And uh, I had a good friend, my friend Ella Raff, um, who actually just got the Washington PCT FKT this year. Um, brilliant. Um, uh, I was going to say fellow redhead, mm. and I forgot. <laughs> blonde. Um, but uh she got me to do my first 50k. She was like, it'll be really fun. You should do it. She had, she had dabbled in some ultras and, and so I did and it was great. And then I kept going and then I, I ran a 50 miler with her and a couple other through hikers and, and it just took off from there. I was like, Oh, I can run this far. Let's yeah. you know, go farther. And I, I had all the jokes from my family and my colleagues about like, Oh, Emily doesn't need to drive to meet us. She can just run, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, things like that. But, yeah. um, it, I think it's, it's pretty natural. I know a lot of through hikers, former through hikers who, um, got into ultra running, um, because you, you can see how much ground you can cover and yeah. to be able to spend that much time outside and, and see so much in a day and still be back in town in time to go to work at five. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Are the two at odds with one another? Do you feel the same way about 
let's say you were to sort of through hike the same 50 or 100 mile or 200 mile trail versus running it psychologically, mentally, does it, it, are the two at odds with one another? Is it a totally different experience? Do you like the gun goes off? There's no choice I'm going versus mm-hmm. the through hike where you, maybe you take your time and, you know, start when you want or those types of things. I think they're not at odds with each other, but I I think they're very different. And you could put me on a given trail and I might say, I'd love to come back and backpack this, Mm -hmm. or I would love to come back and run this, um, is, is what I say a lot. I do a bit of both. Um, back in 2020, when everything shut down, I kind of took on this, uh, this project to just do all kinds of different activities that were new to me. And I broke it into three categories with really, I think, explain what it is that I love to do outside. And it was races, um, FKTs, and uh, like backpacking routes. Mm -hmm. And they each like, you know, race, you have the pressure and it's official and you have other people. FKTs really can run the gamut of, you know, you're pushing yourself hard, but it might not necessarily be super fast. You're still kind of racing. It's a little bit more creative. And then backpacking, I just love sleeping outside and um, and I still try to get a good mix of those three. And um, my partner is quite the avid backpacker and we have some routes planned for next year. So I just so look forward to those um, because I can't say that I enjoy one more than the other. But mm. when I'm doing one, I often say, oh, I can't wait to come back <laughs> and do this the other, yeah. the other way. Because to run through um, a scene, you know, in a, a setting, um, is just a totally different feeling with, you know, your vest on your back. It's much more free. You can go farther, but you also have to be back to the car at the end of the day. Um, that, that moving quickly in a rugged environment is invigorating, yeah. but hacking just kind of slows down that whole process. So it's, it's a completely different experience and I love them both. Yeah. What, when you, when you do something like the Tahoe 200, I might've said Utah 200 before. I don't know if I did. Did I? Okay. <laughs> when you do something like the Tahoe 200, how much of, how much are you at a 200 miler, especially how much of that are you focusing on racing versus finishing versus like, because I read some interesting things in your posts about that, that, uh, you know, I want to talk about. So how much of that is like, sort of like, I I just need to dig in and see if I can finish this versus I'm racing. I, I'm a fairly competitive person and it took a long time for me to admit that because I didn't feel like I like exuded that necessarily. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. competitive with myself, but, um, like, especially for Tahoe, it was my second 200 miler and I had prepared the way I wanted to. So I went into it feeling Mm -hmm. good and strong. And like, I wanted to see what, what I could make happen. Of course, in a race, you don't know what the runners are like. You have no control. I mean, Courtney DeWalter could be running it and, you know, it's going to just smash it. (laughs) So, um, I, I just try to bring myself back to like, what can I do? So in one of the Tahoe was really interesting because I, I had a great like first 50 miles and then I felt like I was falling apart. And then I set off again, had a great, um, you know, next 50 miles. I was moving. I was well-placed in like the top three or four. Um, Or no, I was in second when I got 
when I got to mile 100. Okay. And I almost dropped at that point because this past year they had changed instead of going around the lake because of the fires, it was an out and back. Mm. And I felt like at mile 200, I had got what I came for. At 100, <laughs> you mean? Really hard. And I didn't want to keep going. I didn't want to go back mm. and repeat what I had just done. Um, I talked it out with my pacers. My crew was was some of my favorite and best friends. Like it, it was incredible. Um, and and I talked it through with them. They you know they were like take a nap, eat some food. And when I woke up, I begrudgingly was like, oh, let's fucking do this I guess <laughs> like let's go I might as well and I knew um there was a there was a little boy there um not so little anymore but I met him at Moab he was in an aid station and I ran into him at the aid station like 11 miles into Tahoe and I mm. was not expecting him there it was like oh my god like this kid and uh we've just uh, um developed this like cool like mini relationship um, yeah. where it's like, no, he's here and he's watching. I cannot. Oh, that's cool. Out. Um, my partner's three kids had like sent me a sweet message. And mm. I just thought like, if, if anything at this moment, like people always say you have to do it for yourself. And at that moment I wasn't continuing for myself. I was mm. continuing because I knew that there were young, young kids watching and, yeah. and I couldn't, stop and i knew that that also in the back of my mind those moments pass like that that wall that's yeah. one of the things in the big races you have to if you can just keep moving somehow um those feelings will pass you will just keep going yeah. and and i did and i had all my crew and we just kept smashing that's awesome. How so? How real do you think it was at mile one hundred that you were fine with? You just didn't want to do the out and back. You didn't want to go back. You know, retrace your steps. Like, were you um, were you lying to yourself? Like, what what do you think was the real motivation? Or do you think there's just always this inherent like I don't know, just a desire to quit in some of these races, and then you your brain just starts manufacturing excuses. I think I had, I think that's, that's one of my personal like alarm bells um, and, and one of my kind of demons, I guess, in a race that long um, or even in a hundred mile race. Cause I can, I know when I'm feeling that I want to quit and it's a, it's a pretty dark spot as far as I feel so confident that I'll be fine if I drop <laughs> And, and I have to recognize that and I have to just force myself. It's not like I can be in that moment and think back to this conversation and be like, oh yeah, it's just something yeah. I have to get through. No, no, no. In that moment, I am so done. Um, and I just, um, I have to really dig down and, and usually it's a matter of take some time, get a little rest, eat some food, and then just be pushed out the door essentially. Yeah. Like change my clothes, just keep acting as if I'm going to continue and I will. I, I hit that spot at Moab too, um, just around halfway and just sat down and cried on a rock and felt sorry for myself. And like, I didn't belong out there. And, and then I kept going. Um, yeah. And I'm really glad that I kept going because people were like, why would you drop? You're in second place right now. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I felt pretty guilty actually after that race um, about how I felt at that point. Because I thought, 
why would I feel so strongly like I wanted to drop when I was doing so well? I thought there must be something wrong with me mm-hmm. that I feel that way. Um, but there's nothing wrong with me and there's no reason to feel guilt. It's just, it's just a low spot that we experience. Well, there's gotta be something evolutionary, evolutionary or biological about your body wanting to shut down during these massive efforts. I mean, there's lots of things that, you know, your body is, um, very good at, putting on the brakes before you kill yourself, basically, right? And so there's, I think if you go into these things approaching that, like, I know that at, you know, whatever mile or, you know, at some point in this race, Mm -hmm. my body is doing me a favor, telling me that I'm a loser, or that I can't finish or that, you know, whatever those thoughts, you know, everybody has these different ways of dealing with this. And, and flipping that around and sort of, you know, embracing that, like thanking your body for working correctly, but then saying, but fuck off, we're going to, we're going to push through this and we're not going to die. And we're going to, we're going to keep going through this. Yeah. And I think, I think the interesting thing is if my body is telling me anything, I don't know that it's protecting me from, I mean, I, those distances are definitely really far. But I didn't finish up any of them. Like, I've never finished something being like, oh, I can't keep walking. Mm-hmm. It's more, I can't, like, keep a faster pace. But luckily, in the 200-mile-plus distance, you do a bunch of walking. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes it's just, as long as you're moving forward, that's all you have to do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's all you have to do to do actually really well. So, um, yeah. That was a, that was an achievement. I was not expecting the result of that. So, Did, going through that journey was that was that probably your worst to that point in terms of the races that you'd done. The worst in what sense? In terms of like wanting to quit and then but persevering. So maybe not the worst, but the best, I guess. Your your biggest achievement, I suppose, is the the better way to say that. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think so. Um it, I mean, it was just kind of ridiculous thinking back like really like I would have quit um to go all that way i mean you're you sign up for 200 and it's gonna be long and you're gonna suffer it's gonna suck you're gonna you're gonna like hate it yeah which seems so bizarre but then there's gonna be all these great moments too um i yeah i mean the the notion of of like dnfing that um i i think I, I had DNF'd at um, Havelina 100 mm-hmm. the, just the fall previous. Um, I had signed up for a 100 miler and I ended up DNFing at 100K. Um, and and that was more, I was really listening to my body. And I had just done Moab 240 like two and a half weeks before that. Um, and so my, my DNF was like, I am really not like recovered and prepared yeah. for the race and running through the night and stumbling and not having a, um, pacer and just feeling like if I'm going to get injured, this is the time kind of led to that at Tahoe. It was nothing like that. And I just, um, I, I think I need to, I need to watch out like for those warning signs in other 
long, long races just to make sure that if I'm if I'm ever going to DNF that it's for real, yeah, really good reasons, because it's easy when you're exhausted and tired and you've already run so far um, to to misinterpret your body's signals and what your mind is saying, because you're essentially overriding all of that. I mean, yeah. you, you over you override injury, too, as long as it's not right. like a substantial one debilitating. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can come up with all kinds of excuses to DNF. Yeah. And really good reasons. Well, that that's what I was going to say, because it's easy to dismiss. You were halfway through a race, mm-hmm. you know, but we're talking, you have a whole nother day to run, you know, I mean, you're basically running another 24 hours. So it's not as if, you know, it's like swimming a lap where you get to the, you get to the wall and you say, well, one more lap. Right. And it's a minute later, you have to make that same decision over again. You have now you're looking at saying, well, <laughs> I want to quit right now. Can I run another 24 mile or 24 hours? Right. Yeah. More than that. Yeah. I mean, cause that second hundred is going to be yeah. slower. And, and you know that, you know that you're going to have, like I had that evening to get through and then one more evening mm-hmm. and the night times are so difficult. Um, so it's, it's hard in the moment to look at it. There's your, and also your, your ability to handle emotions. Well, is yeah is not really there. So, um, I, what I admire is the people, first of all, the people who kind of take the whole time to run it because they're just out there for so long. Yeah. They're like the real heroes. And then the people who also run without a crew or any pacers, I would not ever mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think I would be as successful. And I think they get, they deserve so much credit because, because the race is so mental and physical and so much of my like mental strength comes from my pacers and my crew. What, what, make, what makes a good pacer to you? <laughs> so one of my pacers actually got ultra signups pacer of the year oh, nice. when I nominated him. Um, and, and all of my pacers are amazing. What makes a good pacer? They know you really well. They know your weaknesses. Um, they um, communicate well. So, especially in these longer races, a pacer is there for safety more than keeping your speed. Like, so you think of a pacer at Western States, you're picking people who are going to keep you moving fast. Um, My pacers are more there for encouragement, wake me up after, you know, a five minute nap, just keep me moving forward. So communication, um, they know what kind of snacks to surprise you with. Mm. They can deal with you sitting there and crying, getting really irritable. They can um, just keep encouraging you. It's a it's a serious job. I've been a serious head case yeah. <laughs> for for them all, and I love them. And the you know knowing that they are still willing to keep doing it for me is is amazing. Um, yeah, just just encouraging. And and when when you want to quit, having your pacer just. It, basically ignore that request. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is, is it how, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like having a safe word, you know, how many times do you have to ask out before a good pacer, you know, is the good pacer, the one, um, this happens a lot in MMA where you'll have a fighter on the stool in between rounds asking out of the fight. Um, and about a year ago, I don't remember who the fighter was. It was a female fighter and she said, I'm done. And the trainer said no you're getting back out there and she got her ass whooped i mean she this was a bad judgment there were other times where uh you know famously the uh, a 
guy won a championship in the fifth round through a dom by knocking out a very dominant champion. Mm -hmm. And so the corner was praised, but in this other case, so how do you, and I know this is going to be different for everybody, but it, if you're sort of giving advice to maybe your next pacer or somebody else's pacer, how do you balance that between like really knowing when to let the person quit versus, you know, encouragement versus like saying, no, you're going to go back out there. I think, um, you don't quit before you've eaten, hydrated, slept. Um, my lowest points I've, I've slept, taken a nap. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like in life when, when things are going wrong and, and it's like, okay, stop reacting. You just go to sleep. Things will be better in the morning. Yeah. It's just condensed into a very little, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've, I've wanted to quit and, and pacers have been like, no, like keep going. And usually I would say for me, don't let me quit. We're going to do this. Um, and unless I'm actually like injured, yeah. they know I'm there and in my right mind, um, I want it. Yeah. And so they're not going to let me just, I mean, if I, if I at mile 100 had woken up and just been like, I am not moving, um, but I didn't. I mean, what I did do was grumble. I have like my pacer mom. Um, she's kind of like the the captain of the team. And um, she's like our crew chief. And she just gets everything ready for me. And, and she'll listen to me bitch and moan and complain. And it's like, I put myself here. And thank God for them listening to me, <laughs> you know, moan on. And then it's yeah. just like, okay, we'll just go to the next <clears throat> station. And, yeah. Um, yeah, my my instructions to them are just we're we're gonna do this. Yeah, cool. So. <laughs> let's let's talk about let's talk about snowman because this is this is yeah. sort of the the one that I really want to hear about. So, <laughs> give me the background on the race. So this was the this is an inaugural year, correct? Correct. Okay. So this is a race I had heard about on a podcast a couple years ago when they were planning it. It was delayed due to COVID for a couple of years. Um, it was by invitation. So the international athletes, there were about 30 invited. And so a few had uh, dropped from the delays just to various reasons um, for, for this past year. So the snowman race um, is a race put on by the country of Bhutan, which is eastern Himalaya. So still high Himalayan peaks um, up to like 26,000. Um, very, um, it's a third world country, very remote, um, kind of landlocked south of China, east of Nepal, um, north of like Thailand. And, um, it is one of the only carbon negative countries in the world, but mm -hmm. they're feeling a lot of effects of climate change. Um, some of which we, we saw up close and personal as far as like receding glacier. <laughs> And mudslides uh, from like high elevation glacial lakes, um, kind of like bursting and flooding, and um, wow. And so the the king of Bhutan, who himself has completed the snowman trek a few times, kind of started this initiative, wanting to do the snowman race to put Bhutan on the world stage and kind of draw attention to like, look, we have this major problem, but you know, they're not the ones kind of contributing to it so much as the rest of the world and something needs to be done. Mm. Um, 
as a country, they're very like proud of their heritage. They've got this very rich history. Um, it's it's a fascinating place. And so the the intention was to bring athletes from around the world, seeing as um, the, the actual snowman trek did showcase um, both some of the most beautiful places in Bhutan, but some of the places most affected by climate change. Mm. Um, you know, His Majesty thought that that would be a good way to um, to highlight this issue to the rest of the world. Um, the snowman race, so it's it's on part of the snowman track, which is a a very rough route um, that goes across Bhutan. So we did part of that route. It was roughly like a hundred and roughly 125, 130 miles total. Okay. Um, and you can you can go to Bhutan and trek the route. You have to, it's an interesting place because you have to pay a visa, like a per day visa of somewhere between two and $300. And you can't just go there and drive around and sightsee. Like there's no infrastructure really to do that. You have a guide while you're in the country um, to, to kind of tour around. Um, but uh yeah, so I I had heard about this race and kind of put it on my bucket list a couple of years ago of like, oh, that sounds really cool. And then it was it was interesting because I was on my way, I was on a little road trip out um to Montana and I got this message from my friend uh Thomas, who lives in Southern California, and he was the athlete manager for the Snowman race. Mm. And he was essentially inviting me to to apply and fill one of these empty positions for this year. He and I just kept roughly kept in touch, like through Instagram mm -hmm. and kind of watching each other's achievements. And um, he's a, he's a pretty motivating guy to, to follow. But uh, I was just in disbelief. Like I could not believe that I could possibly be invited to something like this, yeah. but um, they were really looking for people who were mountain runners, could go long distances, handle like, kind of the taxing mental aspects and who would be self-sufficient and something like that. So yeah. I think between some of the FKTs I've done and my results in this past year, I've had a couple of podium placements and um, he, he thought of me and, and they also wanted to maintain a certain number of women in the race, which I thought was great. Um, and so, so I accepted. And then a, a couple of days later, Ashley and I realized that we both were going and That's we hadn't awesome. realized and it was the best thing um that we were both going to be going so yeah, i assumed you guys had known each other before then so i i was going to ask yeah. okay yeah. so um roughly 120 some miles you said uh multi-day stage race correct five days yep five days um elevation highs and low points nine thousand to eighteen thousand wow. okay. and the first stage went from nine to sixteen First day you go from nine to 16,000. So I've, I've done a, a fair amount of things at Leadville, which is, you know, 10, 11,000 feet. Um, where do you start to, because at some point it sort of becomes exponential, right? The, um, the effects on your body. Cause I like for me going from, you know, the Boulder area to Leadville for me personally, very little difference. I know some people it's wild wildly different for me i've never really felt much effects going up to leadville so at what point for you did it turn from like a oh it's kind of high elevation to holy shit yeah um so that was very interesting because the first day i was on a huge struggle bus um i so normally i'm fine up to about fourteen thousand. okay 
I've been there a few times and not had significant issues and I've never tried, I've never used Diamox or anything like that. And actually for the snowman race for about five weeks before I was sleeping in an altitude tent. Um, although the nine days before the race between flying, traveling, and then being in Bhutan, we were, I think the highest we were was like 8,500. Okay. So I think a lot of the effects for us, for those athletes who did do any kind of altitude training were kind of lost before the race, unfortunately. And that was just a logistical, I don't know. Um, you know, when we were, when we arrived in Bhutan, we met a lot of people. We traveled to a lot of historical sites and monasteries and beautiful places. Um, and that was really just to, sh- to showcase the country and to, sh- to ca- provide context as to why we were there. Um, so that could not have been avoided. Um, but it just kind of added to the challenge. Um, I don't know too much about altitude training. There's not a ton of solid research mm-hmm. on it and the, the benefits and effects and, and whatnot. So I take that with a grain of salt. But um, the first day I got slammed at about 11.5. And okay. I don't know why. Um, I just started to feel terrible, moving really slow. Um, yeah, and, and really struggled a lot all the way to camp. Um, it, it was difficult. I, you know, nauseous headache. My, my vision got blurry. Mm. I'm just really feeling not myself. Um, it was super disconcerting and I ran into the first camp like with tears. Um, I think I just, I tend to be pretty emotional. And so when, when something doesn't feel right with my body, it's, it's frustrating and kind of frightening. And the vision really threw me off. I thought like something's really wrong with me. I've never experienced this and, and why so low in elevation. And the, the reality is, you know, just because you're fine at a certain elevation, any number of times doesn't mean that's going to be the same. Right. You know, and I had been, I had set out on the race kind of pushing pretty hard. We, I had a heavy pack. Um, mine was probably, I think Ashley and I had pretty heavy packs. Um, even though we tried to be as light as possible, it's hard. You, we had to pack our own sleeping bags, like okay. zero degree bags and all of the stuff that you would carry for a 200 miler. Um, and, you know, prepare to be at the worst case, if you're at 18,000 and you have to wait for hours for a rescue, what do you mm-hmm. want? With it, kind of um, so that, that was challenging. And I think, I mean, I was invited to the race. Uh, I think it was in like mid, mid to late August. Um, in hindsight, I would have definitely trained with more weight, um, okay. and trained on hills more just to prepare myself for that aspect. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the elevation kicked my ass the first day I came in, um, to camp and saw the doctor, my oxygen saturation was higher than most of the athletes at that point, even feeling, you know, crappy. So they gave me a prescription for Diamox. Um, they gave me a whole lot of it. actually. (laughs) I have plenty, um, now, but, uh, the Diamox, uh, worked its magic. And the next Mm. day I felt like a brand new person. I felt like myself and and it was good. <laughs> was the rate was the race set up to because in order to bring awareness obviously you want people to obviously have a a difficult race but not a not a um impossible race uh because part of this was sort of a PR type of thing. Like mm-hmm. how how was the race set up in terms of um did you over did you underestimate it? Was it 
do you think it was just a confluence of events in terms of the the altitude and, and how you were feeling about it? Oh, these are like the these are like the dirty questions that mm-hmm. I've, I've I've thought so much about, and I'm, I was like, I can't wait to talk about this because. Um, this is where I'm sorting out in my brain, like how, yeah. how I feel about the race and, and, and what I want people to really know and understand about it. Um, yeah, there was a lot of PR up around this race and they wanted all the athletes to be talking about it a lot. And yeah. I tried to do that. Um, and also do it in my own genuine style. Um, like that, this is what's happening and what's going on. And, um, so the race course, it's not a trail running race. I mean, it was definitely not the hardest I've ever pushed myself if you take the elevation out of it. Mm. However, it was the most rugged, technical, and muddy course. I mean, miles of bogs and mud and rock hopping on rocks that are just covered in mud and slick. I can't believe nobody got injured, like, mm ankle or anything um but but that was definitely it it was not a course that you're like oh i'm gonna run through the himalayas it was um oh i'm in mud to my knee and there's no way through this and now i'm fording a a stream and fording it back and forth and um with all this weight on my back and now there's a huge very steep very muddy climb and Mm. um it it's a lot um that the trail is not i mean it's the snowman track is um, like yak and a horse herders use it. So it's completely chewed up by horses and it's not maintained. There's no trail maintenance. There's nobody out there, you know, fixing it up to make it look nice. Um, and in some places it disappears. Some places it braids all over the place. Um, it, um, I, th- I think that, the the race organizers wanted it to to be successful in the sense that they wanted to draw attention to the purpose of it and they didn't want anyone to get seriously hurt or worse Mm -hmm. um that was their priority and because it would have been so awful for something bad to happen it was was china last year right where all those runners were killed on the in in the race that was kind of a hot topic okay So there was an abundance of caution. Um, I think more than than most races that we have here. Um, in, in a lot of races, you get the sense that like, I mean, I think of like um, Candace, who owns Destination Trail and runs the 200s. And, you know, her, her megaphone at the beginning of the race, part of the speech that you repeat back is like, and if I, you know, essentially if I get injured or die, it's my own damn fault. Well, in this race, they kept telling us it's not about you. It's not about you at all. Mm. And so that cannot happen. Like, we're not going to actually let that happen. Um, So trying to circle back to to exactly what you were asking. Um, The I mean, the, the course was extremely hard because of how rugged because of how muddy there was not really an option to move fast for yeah. a lot of and then add the elevation on top of that and you're just i've never worked so hard to move so slowly yeah um well, it's like a it's like a bike ride in a in the wind you know it's it's like yeah. you're you know what 
especially a ride that you've done before without the wind, you know what you should be doing. You know how long a hill climb should take. You know how long this, you know, this flat should take. And there's something when you add that wind or I did, I stupidly, I was training for Silver Rush and I did a ton of snow runs and I guess stupidly, not stupidly, one, it exhausted me. And I think I ended, ultimately got injured because it tweaked so much of how I was running Okay. Anytime I was running through snow, but it is unbelievably exhausting just running through a little bit of mud or a little bit of snow or something where you have to adjust your gait a little bit, yeah. much less do it for multiple days where you're running, you know, 20 plus miles a day at, you know, 15,000 average, uh, elevation is, is just so exhausting. There was no running flow. Mm -hmm. uh a hiking flow at times, but there weren't many opportunities to get into any kind of a running flow. Um, thinking about like what, what the goals of the race were, I think if their goal had been for us, for each athlete to do as best as they possibly could, we would have had like more training runs in Bhutan. We would have been there training at high elevation. Um, but again, the goal, like the, the point was, it's not about any of the individual athletes. The goal was to have to have a first successful race to spread the word, um, you know, to showcase the beauty of of the country um, and, and just to have success in that there people finished it and that there were participants and the outcome for each individual didn't really matter, which is a really hard thing for for I think any of us runners to yeah. really grasp and embrace. Um, and we tried, like we, we yeah. were told a lot of times, like it's, it's not about you. And, um, and that's, that's easy to hear until you're in the situation where you just like, I, I where I found myself in the situation where I wanted to keep going and I was told no. Yeah. And how like, Oh, it was just so painful. Yeah. Um, so I think, I don't know what they'll do. I, I think they're planning to have more snowman races. Um, and I imagine it will get more competitive. I will say that the Bhutanese runners, they did train higher at elevation. They had the home advantage. They've been on, um, some of them had been on the course and run sections of the course. Yeah. Um, and so they knew what they were walking into and it showed, I mean, they swept yeah. the race <laughs> and, um, we, I, I'm like, let's bring them here. Let's get yeah. them all into Western States and just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but man, they're, they're incredible athletes. Um, yeah. So that was very humbling. Yeah. Um, it's like born to run the Bhutan version. Yeah. <laughs> <This> part two. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting when you, you know, being a race director and, and balancing that, there's grueling and difficult and those those races you've done where you're like fuck this i want out i'm tired i never want to do this again and you cross the finish line and you're like i am back next year no <laughs> question you know it's yeah. like whoa where did that come from and then you have i did i did stage two of leadville uh mm -hmm. bike and it was in support of a buddy of mine who and it was when i worked at lifetime so i just jumped in and did it for me, I don't understand it. I don't get, I love the Leadville runs, the mm -hmm. bike, not my style of riding. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, basically a, uh, a service road, just switch back after switch back up, up, up. And then you basically had to hike a bike on the goat trail for, I mean, it was like, I don't understand why anybody's doing this 
race at all. I get yeah. to the bottom and I cross the finish line and I was like, I'm never doing that again. That was stupid. Like not for me. And people I know freaking love Leadville bike. I didn't understand it even a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, and it's, and it's not anybody's fault. It's just, I guess what you like, but I would think in their position, because again, if the whole idea here is that we're trying to get PR, we're trying to bring awareness to not just climate change, but to climate change and how it affects the countries that aren't the ones perpetuating the problems, um, you would, frankly, bring some CEOs there to try to run the damn race. If you're going to make it like impossible and not enjoyable and those types of things, like the people who are actually affecting things maybe should try to slog through the bog and, you know, figure out like what the impact is here right? versus just torturing a bunch of poor ultra runners who just want to finish. It's like, I can do UTMB. Why can't I do this? I think that, um, I, I do think that the runners there, I think we were selected not only because they thought we could, we could do it and at least handle being out there, not necessarily do it to finish, but, um, that we could also embrace the experience and then yeah. we, we would be good spokespeople to, um, you know, showcase the country. And, um, it's a really, you know, it's just a high stress situation being over there and being, um, you know, before the race, we had schedules every day and we were meeting all these important people and, um, and going to all these places and, uh, and then, and then having the race and every day, it's just our eyes are wide and taking so much in. And it was like, we were on this incredible sightse- sightseeing trip and then oh and you're also going to do this huge race yeah. i remember one of my teammates saying like i could go home now and it would be worth it right. like worth being here and that was just before the race even happened uh, and that was true and so it really it was such a rich experience but complicated the yeah. race was it wasn't just oh i'm going to travel internationally and go compete in a race it was yeah. a lot more than yeah. that so you get through day two, you get your, your, um, altitude drugs, you, you're feeling much better. Yeah. Uh, you're all doped up. You've got, um, so from day one to day two, is it all pretty similar? Is there like, you know, very intense parts versus, you know, not <laughs> intense parts? Like what was each of the days? Cause you made it to the end of day three, correct? Um, yes. Okay. So, um, each day was really different. Each day had a wildly different elevation profile, but no matter how you looked at it, each day had a lot of climbing, um, you know, ton of ascent, ton of descent. Um, and even the days that were like the easier days were Mm -hmm. still ridiculously hard. Um, and, and when you thought, Oh, this is flat terrain, I can move faster. (laughs) No, you're not going to move faster. Um, and it, it seemed, I mean, every day just felt like it took forever because, your normal like 10 minute mile, 12 minute mile. Nope, you're not, you're yeah. not moving past. Um, uh, I mean, stunningly beautiful. And I just, I just tried to keep moving forward, um, just up over high mountain passes, way down into these incredible like river valleys. Um, day two, wicked hard, but I got to um, the Lunana Valley uh, where there was miraculously amazing cell phone service just been surrounded by these <laughs> mountain peaks i ran through this gauntlet of school children cheering for me right before the finish line and i just felt like the last couple of miles of day two the mantra in my head was um something about 
you know, the idea that races are lost in the last mile. Mm. And I just knew that um, I was doing really well. And I didn't, you don't know where any of the other athletes are in relation to you, really. And I was just feeling so good that I felt like I was in that race mode where you're like, push it, push it to the end. And so getting to that finish line, I was just in that happy mode of moving as fast as I can. I mean, it doesn't matter what place I'm in. It was really the goal is to finish. Yeah. Knowing that day three was the hardest day, the longest day and the highest day Mm. in my mind, I said, if I can get through day three, um, then, then I can. Yeah. Um, and so getting up, um, you know, to the, to the pass at 18,000 feet. Um, and sorry, do you sleep and restart from where you finished the day before, or do you trek to some other place? No. So, so we, um, we run each day to a, they called it a night halt. So we would sleep there. These huge camps that they sent up to, you know, took 30 or so horses to cart up, um, tents for each pair of teammates. So I was assigned with Ashley, um, to share a tent and then medical tent, all the supplies, food tent, all of the food, pots and pans and cooking. This was a huge endeavor. So impressive. And then a different team at every night hall, um, you know, uh, the trekking guide organizations in Bhutan, um, and then, you know, different, you know, someone from the U S and, um, you know, just night halt managers and just to, to make sure everything went smoothly for us. Um, so yeah, we would sleep there and then start from there in the morning. Is, is the weather pretty consistent throughout the day? Are you packed like wearing multiple layers? Are you constantly stopping and swapping? Stopping and swapping a lot mm. on and off layers. Um, we had some, the, the weather was supposed to be pretty rainy for the race actually, but the, the monks in the entire country collectively prayed and changed the weather. Like I, I kind of really believe that, that <laughs> they did. I mean, they were praying for the weather to be good. We were told by an abbot that we had tea with, um, you know, that, that there was this massive effort to pray and make, and make the weather be good for us because I cannot imagine having been through that experience. If we had had foul weather, yeah, rain, snow, colder, it would have been so much more dangerous. So thank God. Um, But we did have, I mean, there clouds come in, it would be warmer and then we get really freezing cold. And Mm. I was in pants and then I'd be in shorts and yeah. Okay. So your start of day three, then, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, you know, it's okay. So you knew going in day three was the big day. Yeah. And was Um, this, was this the day I love (laughs) you were, um, you were walking with somebody, you were hiking with somebody and you were, you were too basically exhausted, couldn't breathe. So you were just giggling to yourself because you didn't have the energy to actually tell the joke of these funny yeah. thoughts you were having. Or that um, you, you basically gave a thumbs up because the hang loose was too <laughs> too difficult. Totally. My friend Nate, um, he's an athlete, for, an incredible athlete uh, who lives up in Montana. Uh, we ended up spending most of that day together. And thank God, I mean, we had a, a good pace together. And just it was nice to have company. And it, it just got really ridiculous and silly going up that high because your brain is just not thinking in yeah. a straight line. And, and yeah, I, I'd, I'd like think of something funny to say, but I'd have to kind of like work myself up to saying it out loud. Yeah. Uh, wow. And I, just, I didn't take as many pictures as I wanted to. It's just nothing really occurs to you when you're so high in elevation and yeah. you're just focused on moving forward. Yeah. Uh, 
that day was also challenging because where we were supposed to end was actually something like five miles farther than we thought. Mm. Um, so people ended up thinking they had passed the night camp and went back and were searching for it. And it got dark and no one had the right coordinates. And um, it ended up, it was just significantly longer than anyone thought. We all got there like half an hour. Oh, not we all, but nine of the athletes. So like a third mm. um, reached camp like half an hour before the cutoff. And mm. it was just um, mentally and physically uh, such a grueling day. I mean, there were so many high points, like literally and and just mentally. Um, and then the, that last bit where we had no idea how much farther camp was. And we kept saying, okay, it looks like it might be another 2K, maybe another kilometer. Mm. And, oh, that'll be another half an hour. And then yeah. an hour would go by and we still hadn't reached it. And Oof. we would just, where are we going? Um, that it, it felt uncomfortable. It felt a little dangerous. It was just... Um, a logistics yeah. thing um, that got to be much more emotional for us all, like in the moment. Yeah. Um, so we got to camp, got food. Um, Where, did you finish had, low or did you finish high elevation wise? We were about a 14, four. Okay. I, I believe. Um, so relatively high, but much lower. Um, I mean, you're, you're higher than the highest point at Leadville still at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wow. Um, and at that point when I had finished that evening, I mean, we were all exhausted and, I was really short of breath. Um, I had been hyperventilating a little bit and just a little bit like panicked um, and and just not knowing where we were all going, um, but just really short of breath. And um, I kind of I told medical that before I went to bed, but I slept well. I was eating and drinking really well that mm. night, every night before. Um, all throughout each day, I kept telling myself just keep eating well because if a time comes when you can't you'll be really glad that you have yeah. up till um so i, I kind of did that really religiously i woke up in the morning and i was really still short of breath i felt really good and my oxygen saturation i think it had been 90 um the night before and like something like 94 the next morning which is wow. So stellar. Um, I think that's higher than mine normally. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's really, really high. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, one of the one of the things if you're if you think you're experiencing like elevation sickness or you know signs of pulmonary edema is um, is to either get to lower elevation or get your oxygen saturation above ninety. And so I was like, I'm I'm good, but I was yeah. still sort of breath like really. Even sitting talking, people around me could tell that I was breathing really like rapidly. Mm. Um, and so I I had like gotten everything ready. It was like 15 minutes before to start on day four. And I thought, you know, okay, well, I, I feel amazing. I felt so surprisingly good physically given what we had done. And I was ready to, to get to that last night halt um, to see uh, Magda, who is our, the, the, you know, captain of that night hall. And she was, she had traveled with us mm. um, from here. And I was, I was just jazzed and kind of like, okay, well, I'm breathing kind of crazy. I had been given um, not oxygen, but kind of a, some kind of inhaler by medical earlier, earlier that morning, just to see if that would help. Um, 
and they had checked my vitals and everything else was good. And then uh, I was I was sitting ready to go on my stuff packed. And then the doctor came over again. And this time he had a stethoscope and he was like, I just want to, you know, give your lungs a listen. And he did. And um, he just said like the, our team captain came over, um, Luke. And then the doctor just said, um, I think I hear something. Mm. What he meant was fluid. Yeah. Um, and it was faint and it was, but Luke, you know, asked him, he was like, so what does that mean? And the doctor said, I, I recommend she don't continue. Um, and that was so heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I, I just automatically go back to the notion of when they said, it's not about you and tell someone like in that moment that it's right. not about them because yeah. I was all ready to go feeling so good. Um, and it just, it makes me kind of reflecting on that moment. I mean, I just feel like that's just really hard. It was yeah. just really hard to deal with. Well, and and I would assume that you you have to couple the fact that one you were sort of picked and invited to go there, mm-hmm. you're then sort of given this um, window into the struggle of this country, you know, and and that you're there to help, mm-hmm. you know, you're not just a bystander, but you're actually there to hey, we hope you carry forth this message <laughs> of SOS, um, and then you sort of do your part, you make it through the hardest day. And then you get ready to go on day four, which at that point you felt like you had already told yourself, if I could make it through day three, then I should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take it out of your hand. That's that's a tough pill to swallow, right? It is. And, you know, I, I so badly had wanted to, as you, like, to use that phrase, like, I wanted to carry that torch. I wanted to finish and have it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't in my mind. I was like, this isn't about me. I, I want to do this for for all the reasons that they've brought us here to anyone else, but me, it didn't matter if I finished the point was that I was invited to participate and I had gotten through three days. I had just day three is now the world's highest ultra marathon. And I had done that and nobody cares, right? Nobody really, really cares except for me that I didn't finish. Um, it just, yeah, it's hard. What, what was it that, what, why did you care so much? Was it the, um, was it that you, um, like what if the race had been canceled mm-hmm. at, you know, whatever bad weather was coming in day four, was it your, um, was it them telling you, you couldn't finish it? You know what I mean? Like, what, what do you think it like, what, what was the first instinct that you had when he said, we recommend she doesn't go on because he knows it's not going to get better over the next two days. So this was, this is a really complicated, um, a complicated topic because I'm not a medical professional. Mm-hmm. Um, the night before that doctor had, had said, well, I think it's, I think you're exhausted when I had complained of the shortness of breath. And I was like, do you think? <laughs> I mean, of, maybe. kind of exhausted um, out here. So I wasn't, you know, I, I think, and there was, there were different doctors at every night hall. Um, every athlete who had, who had, um, kind of voluntarily dropped at that, um, up to that point had been given options to like, well, we, we recommend this, but it's up to you to continue. 
Um, I was really surprised that it had happened so suddenly and that there was no discussion around it, no option. Um, in hindsight, I wish I would have said something like, okay, I understand what you're saying, um, that this is, you know, that there's risk. What if I just, you know, start the race, given I feel really good, given my, you know, oxygen saturation. And if now on day four, I get to a certain point and it's not improving, um, I, you know, know that I'm in a right mind enough where I could turn back and come back to the night hall. Um, Understanding, because I don't think I was in a place where I was just like, oh, screw safety. You know, I I was very aware. I was I was taking such good care of myself. And I was the only reason I had talked to medical in the first place was because of the shortness of breath was atypical. And in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I really wish I hadn't said anything because they wouldn't mm. have pulled. But saying something was the right thing to right. do. Usually. Um, was the doctor Bhutanese? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I don't, I mean, they were being cautious. Yeah. And I I had watched other teammates make the decision to drop um, under an abundance of caution. And at the end that the things that I kept having to tell myself were it's not about you. You've made it through the hardest day. You should be proud of yourself. Yeah. That was just really hard when I was so, when I was so feeling so strong and capable. Yeah. Um, I think that's the part about the situation that we don't normally encounter is, is having to drop out. Usually you're dropping from something or pulled because you're injured or you're absolutely done. Yeah. And I was so not there. Yeah. So, so it was tough. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly still weighing on your mind, you know, it, it is, I think it was really hard to deal with. Well, it, and then after the race, I got really ill and was, was uh, that due? I've, I've been meaning to ask because I saw all of that, that side of things. Was it because of the race or was it a totally separate thing? So, um, myself and a, and a handful of other athletes had gotten food poisoning um, pretty shortly after the end of the race. Um, I mean, super high temperatures and just um, that resolved. But I think that really wiped out my immune system. And my immune system had already been taking a beating just yeah, from the- for sure. The elevation really rocked my lungs. And so whether I did have pulmonary edema um, or not, which it seemed at the end of the day, like they took us to the hospital out of caution, um, myself and one other athlete, um, I don't want to say we're medevaced. We got a helicopter ride right. out. It wasn't just like, easier, emergency. Yeah. Um, but they called a helicopter for us. And, and then just, to, they kind of asked if we wanted to go to the hospital to get checked out and, and, um, it, you know, decided that would be a, a good idea and just being cautious. Um, and it wasn't very conclusive. Like my x-ray um, seemed like there was a little something maybe going on. Um, so I, I think I was just coughing all of the athletes, everybody, even those who finished, we were all just hacking for the rest of the trip. Yeah. Um, and then I developed kind of a sinus infection. And then on the plane out, I flew um, to Thailand for a week after mm-hmm. um, to kind of recuperate. And my sinuses were the pressure built up so much that one of my eardrums perforated on one of oh, the flights. And it was just kind of this ridiculous cacophony of events <laughs> um, that really wiped me out. And uh, and then took several weeks after coming home to 
to start recovering. And yeah. I'm starting to feel my sinuses are still kind of a little bit of an issue, but my lungs are starting to feel much better. And um, just everything, the equilibrium was yeah. off. Um, and I've talked to several of my fellow athletes, um, fellow runners from the snowman, and I'm not alone in yeah. uh, in anything that I've been experiencing, but in a lot of the physical and kind of those those brain issues you mentioned at the beginning, yeah. feeling the the word retrieval and and just feeling like I'm fully present. Um, I'm not the only one. I think it was just a combination of um, getting sick afterwards and just the overwhelming experience. Yeah. Is- well, altitude prolonged that many days and stuff probably didn't didn't help too much. Yeah, that altitude is no joke. Yeah. I'm actually, um, I'm excited and hopeful to to do another high high altitude race um, in 2023 and yeah. um, really solidly train for it and see see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Altitude seems to be I'm fine with. I'm I'm. I'm fantastic in heat. Just I'm a born in Miami, grew up in Arizona. So I've, I've run and I just always did all of my training in the middle of the afternoon. So I've, I've, I've got those, those, I knew I had the heat thing. And part of that too, is it's, it's once you sort of find out what you're good at and then, especially when other people are not so good at it, you know, you can really leverage it. So like in races on hot days, I could tell when, you know, you don't have to outrun the line. You just got to outrun that next person. So I knew that if I could just keep that game face one more minute, this other, you know, the other person would drop. So um, that's why I love the Leadville heavy half and just the summer series up there is you get some heat, you got elevation. I can sort of excel in those, in those races. Do you think you would have? And I'm going to enter the lottery this year. Oh, cool. Well, excellent. Good luck on that. Thanks. Do you think, had you, when you got to the hospital, had it been more definitive where they said, wow, it's really good that you didn't do day four. Do you think it would have changed your mentality since? You know, I don't think it matters. I think that they were operating under an abundance of caution and they had priorities. And at yeah. the end of the day, it wasn't about me. And I've, it no, takes- I get that. But like for you personally, yeah. like how you feel about, how the race ended i still i because you still know in your heart of heart you could have finished but i mean i feel like i could have but also if i had gotten more sick it could have been a it could have become a much difficult much more difficult situation very fast um and and from what i understand altitude issues are um uh they're cumulative yeah so what started on day one kind of would have added up added up and it wouldn't have just been you know i still had to get through day four go over a couple passes still sleep you know day five go over one more pass um there was a lot of room for something bad to happen in there yeah um so it's it's taken me a while to get to this point of like you know just being proud of myself and being honored to have been invited yeah and and to have had the experiences that we were given, I mean, as a gift, the, the trip was paid for. Like we were, we were brought there on an invitation from the king and queen <laughs> to do this. When does that ever happen? Yeah, that's a pretty cool story. But, you know, those things really, um, 
I keep thinking like they have to outweigh that one little piece of it. They really do. Um, and just that was a massive, it's a massive ongoing lesson in, in dealing with disappointment. And everybody deals with it differently. I think, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and felt bad about myself because I wanted to handle it more gracefully or, or not feel so negatively. Um, and I just had, you know, I, I was disappointed. I had written a lot about it and that was so cathartic and people were really supportive. Mm. It just helps me to write out my experience and just to show people like, this is just my experience. And there were so many of us runners out there all experiencing it in different ways. Um, and so I wanted to be genuine, but also still graceful. And sometimes it, you just, um, yeah, it, it's hard to do that. Um, yeah. Well, just, there you go. Yeah. Well, look, I, I don't know you well. I'm proud of you. I think that's still, I mean, the reality is it's, it's so much of ultra running is arbitrary, you know, whether it's 200 miles or 300 miles or 50 miles or whatever it is, mm -hmm. what you accomplish through those three days is still so freaking remarkable. Even getting to that day is so remarkable. And I know that it's, look, I'm not a bucket list guy. I don't like, I've never been one who identified with like, well, you know, you showed up and you know, the rest of the world is sleeping or what? I don't give a <laughs> shit. Like I came here to do something, you yeah. know, like I, I don't really, like, I don't need the pat on the back. So <laughs> I'm not at all trying to be patronizing about this at all, but you know, yeah. the, you know, it's one race, obviously you've got, you've got a plethora more in your future, obviously, but um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's so remarkable in that, yeah, you know, your story about sort of, you know, the, the chicken soup basically from the queen and, you know, all that. It's like, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, you've got some great stories from this trip and, and it's like, yeah. it was one race that, you know, you're going to have all so many more. Yeah. It, it, I've definitely hit the point where, where I look at it and I'm like, I had an incredible experience and, um, you know, I, I've listened to other athletes be asked, you know, was it the hardest thing you've ever done? Were you pushed to your limit? Um, the answers are mixed and it, it wasn't necessarily about that. We were, we were invited on this, on this big thing, um, to be part of. And, um, there are other races to run where I can make it about me and my goals and what I want to accomplish. Um, but then, you know, on the other hand, when you enter a race, your training all of a sudden kind of disappears and it's race day and, yeah. and things happen on race day that are out of your control too. Yeah. That's part of why I really love ultra running is it's just, um, for me, it's not, it's not, I, I wouldn't do it if, if the resi the results of the races were what mattered the most because you're spending 99% of the time training. So you've yeah. got to love that too. And yeah. that, that is what I love about ultra running. Ultra running is, uh, it's just all the time you get to spend outside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And it, it suits you. I mean, it's, it, it, does that surprise you? Like looking back at your high school self in Buffalo, and <laughs> does it just kind of shock you at the, you know, like your love of sleeping under the stars and, I don't think many people expected me to be this 
uh, super long distance <laughs> runner. I think that yeah. kind of came out of nowhere, um, which which really kind of makes me psyched and makes me really want to encourage others a lot. I mean, I've I've not been doing it for very long. Um, it's been like four or five years, and um, I I think that's encouraging because you can. It just reminds me that you can you can change your life. You can do different things. Um, you can, you know, to be able to pursue, um, an endeavor like that is such a, a huge privilege. Um, but also pretty miraculous, just, um, you know, the, the notion of, do we have free will or not? <laughs> um, I like to play with that a little bit and, and think about that, but it, it makes me think that we do. Um, and just in encouraging, encouraging people that think, oh, I could never run that fast or I could never yeah. run that far. No, no, you can, yeah. <laughs> if I can, because I'm not that special. Like at the end of the day, um, uh, I mean, my, you know, going up into these higher distances, um, I, I don't see myself as a fast runner or like the strongest runner. And I think it, that's a dangerous place to go anyway, because there's always people who are going to be better and faster and run farther. Yeah. than you um i think it's just a great sport to be in if you really want to dive into what it means to be human in yeah. a physical way in an emotional way you know just kind of dive into your psyche um yeah, yeah there's something very special about finding comfort and discomfort and if you have that skill or gift or whatever you want to call it i think you're going to go places in life that that frankly, most people won't allow themselves to go. So agreed. Yeah. So where can people find you out in the world? <laughs> well, <laughs> they can find me. Um, so in Bend, Oregon, running with my dog, Jolly. Um, I am, yeah, I'm on Instagram, um, which is where I like to write a lot mm -hmm. and I like to just interact with people and get feedback and, and try to try to paint a, as genuine a picture as I can, which lately um, ha has been an interesting experience, um, just kind of in the process of recovering, but, um, Emily in dot the wild, um, on Instagram. Yeah. And it's an uh, excellent follow by the way. And I, I, I am okay. one, I do appreciate your sort of diary. Um, I'm not somebody who's ever going to comment on it. I've liked your posts and things, but like the, <laughs> the insight that I get, um, from that, because I think, um, it's an, it's an interesting thing, this whole kind of, um, I don't even know what you would call it. It's sort of like semi pro runner where, you know, you have like sponsorships and Instagram and things like this, where you're sort of expected to always be winning and on and competing. And like, there's no, it's not like you have a season per se anymore. You know, it's like you yeah. show up and you have 11 games that you have to play. It's mm -hmm. got to be very, very difficult. And I, I have found a lot of insight in reading your comments uh, on the posts about kind of the, you don't necessarily address, address that directly, but just sort of reading between the lines of how that can affect a runner is, is really interesting. Yeah, it is. It, I treat it kind of like my, my open diary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's times I'll just post pictures of my dog or scenery or things I'm doing that aren't running related because this is not just a running Instagram. It is, <laughs> it is my life, but it's my life as an ultra runner. Yeah. It's not just my in Instagram to highlight the, 
the running highs. It's it's everything. Yeah. So, so it's Emily in dot the wild on yes. Instagram. Yeah. What uh, what races do you have coming up? Ooh, I've got. Um, I think I'm gonna enter into the Black Canyon 100K February. Mild, mild stomping um, grounds, Phoenix. Yeah, I love it down there. Um, everything, everywhere running down there is fun. I I ran it once before, and so I kind of just want to see if I can nice. improve my time, but um, also escape Bend in the winter when it's really cold. Mm. Um, and and that'll that's given me kind of a you know I'm I'm in a training mindset yeah. for that and that helps um i think there's no better place on the planet than phoenix in in february march oh, yeah. it's oh it's it such just a nice, absolutely beautiful such a nice reprieve um i'll do me walk 100k in may that's in the bay area that is actually my favorite area to run okay there um that'll be a first time and i know it's a, a huge race and and competitive so i'll just be i'll be in the mix um and then i'm looking at um Tonight at five thirty, actually cross your fingers for me because the Divine Two Hundred, which is going to be Canada's first two hundred miler, the lottery's tonight, Ooh. and I've got maybe like a 40 percent chance of getting in. Um, so that would be very cool. Uh, well, we'll try to channel 100. our we'll try try to channel the Bhutanese monks to pray yes. for your entry into that race. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll see about that, and then uh, the Crazy Mountain One Hundred. Uh, okay. which is in Montana. Um, that's at the end of July, a hundred miler and looks really great. It's only the second year they've done it and it, it sounds amazing. Um, and then depending on that 200 in Canada, I really want to go back to Moab 240 this year. Mm. Um, it would be a repeat. That was the first one I uh, had done. And, um, I feel like after, after Tahoe, there's just so much you learn from every 200. And I, I feel like I could go into Moab and um, knowing knowing what happens in a 200 miler or at least some of what can happen. Yeah, um, I, I'd be super pumped to do that again. You got to make sure that little boys in the aid station. I got to I got to get a hold of his mom is on Instagram <laughs> and, and we kind of chat back and forth cool. once in a while. And um, I'll, I'll have to see if they're going to be there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Yeah, this was a this was a great. I've been anticipating this conversation, and and uh, again, like I told you, I just I put it off a little bit, um, and I and I wanted to really yeah. talk when I was when I was feeling like it it was going to be constructive, and it's it feels it actually feels good to talk about Bhutan now. I avoided it a lot for mm. a while because I felt so conflicted, and um, and now it feels good. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad you waited. I hope we did the experience justice. Um, continue finding comfort and discomfort. And uh, I'm glad to see you're taking it very easy this this upcoming season, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just resting on your laurels and all that. Yeah. Well, Emily, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Awesome. That is the show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. You know the three things. Give us a follow on Instagram at Faster Forward Show. We have a special post for episode 55 with Emily. Check it out. Leave a comment or a question there if you have any for either of us. You can also drop me an email at Troy at Bousseau.com. It seems to be the preferred way that most of you like to reach out. Keep those emails coming. I love the guest suggestions and the questions and just getting to know each of the listeners out there has been fantastic. Uh, number two... 
Give us a five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. It really does help to grow the show. And lastly, share the link far and wide with your friends. Anybody that you would think would love to listen to the Faster Forward show on their long run, I would really appreciate it. Otherwise, again, let us know what you thought of this episode or if you have a guest idea or anything, drop me an email at troy at And until next time, as always, keep it moving faster forward, everybody.